Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, we're talking to Bridget Tegemeyer, a functional medicine registered dietitian and health advocate on a mission to help you transform your health through personalized nutrition. Throughout her career, Bridget has worked with more than 4,000 clients. She founded the functional nutrition and health consulting business, Being Bridget Nutrition, in 2018 to offer virtual programs and coaching that provide personalized food as medicine approach to data-driven health. With a master's in public health nutrition and board certification in integrative and functional nutrition, Bridget was a founding dietitian at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, working under Dr. Mark Hyman. Bridget and I share a common philosophy of creating health, the idea of taking control of your health and being the driver behind it versus being in a constant state of prevention or just being reactionary. Bridget is very passionate about nutrition and what we put in our bodies to nourish ourselves to create health, and that's what I love about her. She tells us what we should be paying attention to when it comes to food marketing and how to spend your dollars wisely, along with ways that you can take the power of your health back and start actively creating your health. She describes health as a light switch on a dimmer versus on or off, which can help you make better lifestyle choices throughout your life, especially early on. So stay tuned, and I hope you get just as much out of this conversation as I did. So we share a common philosophy of creating health and really trying to empower people not to just be reactionary to a diagnosis or in this constant state of prevention. So I'm so excited to dive into that part. But I first would love if you could just share what drew you into the functional side of nutrition and how have you seen it, you know, get better results for your clients? Yeah. So I think that integrative and functional nutrition is really the future of nutrition. I'm not sure what everyone else's beliefs are, but um, that's my own philosophy, just in better understanding the individual's needs and kind of merging science with common sense and helping the person navigate through their health journey in a way that you're you're listening to their story and helping them to better understand their own unique needs uh, versus speaking at individuals from this medicalization uh, perspective that I think in some ways is embedded in a conventional nutrition training. So I went through nutrition training after I had already been a functional medicine patient. So I was, I had my own health journey that started around the age of 15, where I was diagnosed with a neurological autoimmune disease and seen by a specialist at the Cleveland Clinic who diagnosed me, which is what conventional medicine is so great for is understanding, um, doesn't necessarily tell you why it's happening, but helps you better understand, um, kind of what is happening. And even though there's some, um, some issues with how long the diagnostic codes have gotten and how confusing it is from a medical standpoint, it's very helpful to have some idea of what's happening. So I was diagnosed at the Cleveland clinic by a neurologist and my parents are the people that I owe everything to because they were like, well, we, before we just shove medication at her for the rest of her life, Um, because they told me it would only get worse as you get older. We want to just see where we can optimize other areas of our health. And we're going to seek out this holistic medicine doctor that ended up going through a functional medicine training and uh, was practicing essentially functional medicine at the time. 
So I was so against it. And I was so, I was such an angry, mean teenager at the time, because I was just like, I'm falling asleep every single second of the day. I'm having 20 to 30 mini seizures a day. All I want is to take the drug. It's the best solution. You're not doctors. We need to listen to the doctor who understands the science and what I need. And my parents said, we're not saying that we're opposed to you ever taking the medication, but we want to make sure that we're optimizing every area of your, your body possible. I remember my mom just saying that over and over again. So, um, so I entered the field of nutrition because I was able to really improve a lot of how I was feeling at early on. I was diagnosed with leaky gut and with the functional medicine practitioner who ran a lactose mannitol test, which is really the gold standard for functional medicine, leaky gut testing and, um, identified several food sensitivities. And that changed so much of my energy levels. Um, I stopped falling asleep as randomly. I was able to actually sleep through the night. I wasn't having as many cataracts. And I started to just become so interested in nutrition because I was like, this is insane that the majority of Americans are fed things that are feeding disease without us even knowing it. And how can I help people understand that even if their doctor's telling them that nutrition has nothing to do with their condition? I remember as a high schooler saying this to people, like, I just want, if people see their doctor and they're told that nutrition has nothing to do with their condition, which was my experience, the neurologist at the Cleveland clinic that I saw really didn't like the fact that we were pursuing other options and I said, I just want them to be able to see the power of nutrition and all these things that food can actually do for you if you're feeding your body the right ingredients that it needs in order to optimize how it's functioning. And um, so that was why I really entered the field of fields of nutrition. I didn't realize at the time that becoming a dietitian was not um, that everyone wasn't practicing functional medicine as dietitians. That was my naive perception at first. Um, but I still ended up loving the training of having the science based approach being able to learn from experts in the field um, in more of a, a traditional setting, and then being able to further my education with IFM and the um, IFNA, Integrated and Functional Nutrition Academy, to uh, be able to really broaden my functional medicine knowledge. And it all really came full circle about um, 10 years after I had been diagnosed and told by the same physician at the Cleveland Clinic that nutrition has nothing to do with your condition. We opened the Center for Functional Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic, the first hospital-based um, the first hospital-based functional medicine center in the world. And I just remember like my mom was taking me to the airport right before we were starting and I was crying and I was like, who, who would have thought that us going through this journey and all of the hardships that my parents were getting from just trying to get insurance to cover some of the functional medicine services that my parents were, were trying to really like stretch in order to, to be able to give me access to like, who would have thought that, just this many years later that us fighting for ourselves would lead to being able to fight for so many other people and being able to broaden access to thousands of people to really embody the same approach in an insurance reimbursable model that um, didn't exist for me at the time that I was going through my own health journey. Gosh, that's so amazing. Bridget. I mean, and I will say I have heard your story before, and but every time I hear it, I hear like something new, but it's also just so powerful. And in the end too, that what you guys were able to do at the Cleveland clinic. Um, which I'm curious too, did your doctor after that point, you know, your neurologist give in to a little bit of, okay, there's something here or <laughs> were they still pretty much a stickler of just, no, this is your diagnosis and this is the medication you should be on. 
So when we, so he refused to continue seeing me. He's a pediatric neurologist and he was the only one in the department. So um, at 16, 15, 16, I ended up then just um, seeing an adult neurologist because he didn't want to continue seeing me and referred me out to someone else in the department. And then I started seeing the head of the sleep disorder center at the Cleveland Clinic and um, Dr. Nancy Foldberry. She's amazing. Like I can't speak highly enough of her. She is so open to, I remember her saying to me several years ago, I'm not sure what you're doing, but whatever it is, it's working and keep doing it. And since then has emailed me so many times about different patients that she's seeing, um, thinking that things that I can offer may be helpful. She brought me in to speak at the National Sleep Disorder Center that they had two years ago, where I spoke to uh, about 300 neurologists and PAs about nutrition for sleep disorders and uh, the role that listening to patient stories really plays in the whole picture. And as practitioners, being able to listen to individuals when they're telling us that things are working for them or not working for them is, you know, really important, even if there isn't any research to demonstrate it at that exact moment in time. And I think that sometimes when you're, when you go through such a science-based training, which is actually how I, my training was, it was very science-based as I know that yours was, um, it, I would have had a much more closed mind had I not started as a patient and feeling the, like, devastation of not feeling heard or seen by the person that you're trusting your entire health with. Um, it's just the worst feeling ever. And so I think that what it, what it created was really a higher level of empathy that I have for anyone that's struggling with their own health issues and any families that have family members that are struggling with their own health issues. Because, you know, when people are really sick, it's not just about the individual, it's, you know, like stressful for the entire family. And I think that sometimes it's just feels so good to have people that listen to you and are like, we're on the same team. Um, we want to help you get better and work with you collaboratively together. And um, so Dr. Foldberry ended up doing just that. And she's a huge advocate of the Center for Functional Medicine. She has met with Dr. Hyman several times. And um, the more that she was meeting with Dr. Hyman, then the more that she was realizing what I had been talking about for several years and what I had been doing. And, um, and so it's been really great. She's wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. And I love what you said. I think, especially for all of our listeners, it's important to hear that if you do find you're just getting the what, right? You're just getting that diagnosis and you have questions about the why and want to kind of dig in deeper and you're not getting those answers, you need to find them somewhere else, especially, and I'm sure Bridget, I mean, even with your story, but I constantly preach, if you don't know the why behind something, it's really hard to make behavior changes to improve it, like to feel motivated to. And it's upsetting. And, you know, I I've had my own personal doctors, even when it's small things, when I do, you just feel when you feel like you're not being heard, it can be really disheartening, but also it can kind of stop you from wanting to go seek out other help and, try and, you know, answer those why questions. Um, but I just feel like for me, at least, you know, you're constantly, when you're a health professional, you're supposed to constantly be digging for the answers and helping your patient or client as much as you can. And if you don't find that someone is doing that work for you and really trying to answer those questions for you, you have to find 
someone else who will, which is what, I mean, you are so lucky that your parents were so (laughs) incredible about pushing you to find other ways to treat, you know, your diagnosis and find other answers because, you know, it could have been a different path for you. Oh, a totally different path. I just, my husband had said that to me a few weeks ago. He was like, what happened? What do you think? Where do you think you would be if you never found functional medicine? And I said, literally asleep in a curb or like in a ditch (laughs) because I couldn't like, I remember someone saying to me, I had gone from being in like national honor society in middle school to in high school being, I mean, like teachers were calling my house because I was struggling so much. I couldn't stay awake for anything. And everyone thought I was lazy. And then when I was awake, I was just kind of like laughing and laughing a lot of things off. And I didn't fully recognize what was happening, but it's, someone had said to me, it seems like you're just trying to be, to pretend like you're dumb because you're trying to get attention. Someone that I had gone to middle school with and then like went into high school with. And I just remember being like, why would anyone do that? <laughs> like, I have no idea why anyone would do that, but it's, uh, I would not be where I am today. I can a hundred percent say that I would not be where I am today. And I know that so many other people that have been opened up to the world of, nutrition and what it can do for you beyond just like losing a few pounds on the scale, that it actually changes your life, that your cells are actually built upon the nutrition that you're putting into your body. And that nutrition is related to every single disease state that exists, especially the more that we're learning about the gut microbiome, the more that it's going to be so clear that nutrition right now, until a lot of pharmaceuticals are created around it, nutrition is really the main thing that can help you change your gut microbiome, the main intervention besides a fecal transplant, right? which are more risky, you you can only use for if you have resistant C. diff, but nutrition is the driver of your functionality in every single cell of your body and improving the way that different pathways work and function and helping to modulate inflammation and improve the expression of your genes so that you're not just your genes, you're actually more of the way that they're expressing themselves and the way that they're able to turn on or off disease. And I think that the more that we're able to recognize that nutrition is so much larger than the number of calories, which I believe is by design that that's been created, that narrative has been created in a very smart marketing strategy to keep the pharmaceutical industry in business and the processed food industry in business and the diet industry in business. It's like the more people that wake up and are like, everything that we're putting into our body is complete crap when you look at the ingredient list and we deserve the same quality of food that like, why are certain companies in that are operating in the UK and in the United States, why are they putting higher quality ingredients in the UK and removing some of the chemicals that they include in the United States? It's because of policy. Our policy is not set up to create health and to protect individuals. It's feeding disease in a way that so many people are oblivious to. And it makes it that, um, that we're more dependent on pharmaceuticals. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I work with, especially when it comes to like hypertension and cholesterol. And I just got off the phone with someone this morning who's been, who's seen so many gastroenterologists and has been put on so many different um, drugs to try to mitigate what's happening underneath the surface. And it's like, if only people knew that the drugs that they're being given 
are masking the lifestyle choices that they're making. But the the medical system, it's not any one individual's fault. And I feel like sometimes I don't clarify that enough in my message. It's not any one practitioner's fault. Everyone's doing the best they can. Their insurance reimbursable model makes it so that you only have a 15 to 20 minute window. It's impossible if you're trying to survive to look into people's health when you're fitting in that in that model. But it's like when you look outside of it and you see that these pharmaceuticals, of course, are necessary to some extent. And it's so such a blessing that, that we have these advancements to improve our health. But life expectancy isn't improving drastically. And we're spending $3.6 trillion on healthcare every year. And how is it that no one is looking at the return on the investments. No other business would be able to spend as much money as we spend on healthcare and not look at the return on investment and understand, okay, we're using these pharmaceuticals to mask what's happening underneath the surface, which is just people's lifestyle choices. And if they knew that, they would be able to take care of their own health and take their power back in a lot of ways. But because of the medicalization around this data that they're collecting, like high cholesterol and high blood pressure. It's like, it's so medicalized that you think, oh, it's a disease. So there's nothing that I can do about it. And yet there's so much that every single individual can do to take the the power of their health back into their own hands with the guidance of some practitioners, of course. But it's like, I talk so much in my programs about the fact that your health isn't created at your annual physical or in the amount of time that you're spending in the doctor's office. Like, of course, it's helpful from a preventative standpoint to have your, for people to look up your nose and in your mouth and maybe to check your blood pressure, all those things. I'm not downplaying them, but that's not the answer to health. We have to create a whole separate model that helps people actually learn what it is like to create health. And a lot of it is so simple that people overlook it where they're like, oh, no way could nutrition help me with reversing this disease or no way could nutrition help me with improving this. And a lot of people perceive that they're eating healthy. That's what I hear all the time from people where they're like, well, I think that I already know a lot about nutrition and I'm already eating healthy. And I'm like, no, you're not doing it in a framework that actually is systematic in thinking and in a way that we're better able to understand what's going on underneath the surface. I don't care how organic you're eating, how dairy-free you're eating, how gluten-free you're eating. I've worked with 4,000 clients and I've never had one person tell me, wow, working with you didn't teach me anything. I, I already knew everything you told me. It's like, there's so much to unpack underneath the surface. And most people don't even know that there's a whole world happening underneath the surface. Well, and because nobody's taught, I mean, I never had, except for obviously in like my dietetics program, never had a nutrition course. So when people also say, oh, I'm like, I eat healthy or, you know, I'm good. Where did you learn what healthy is? Right. Which we'll get into too, Bridget, of like (laughs) this whole, like healthy versus unhealthy and really what is healthy. And, you know, is that it, you know, it's so ambiguous, but, um, there's no education. And I'm so glad you're so passionate about getting, you know, the message out too that nutrition is so powerful. And I do think, you know, our generation is spreading that message more, but it's tough too. Um, I just had a client, she's in her late fifties. She's been on cholesterol medication, blood pressure medication, two different types of cholesterol medication and blood pressure medication for 15 years. And so I asked her, and these are kind of the things that I feel like too, when you go to the doctor, sometimes it's just going through the motions and they're going through the motions, just like you said, okay, check your nose, right? Check your ears, check, which is all fine and good. 
but there's no digging deeper. And so I asked her, you know, have you, have you gotten, you know, I know they, I'm sure they're checking your cholesterol levels each time. Have they ever spoken to you about doing anything else besides taking the medication you're on or lowering that dose? Because she was, she had changed her diet a bit and it was better. Never was never spoken to about it. So then, you know, we just stopped working together and she has her next, um, test results coming up. And I'm like, I need you to push and you can, you know, tell your doctor to call me, but I need you to push to see, because I'm convinced by a lot of her diet changes, she can actually probably get off of a lot of these medications. But the fact that the conversations never been had between herself and her doctor about doing, you know, whether it's doing things to get off medications or lowering doses is one, you know, really sad to me, especially for her, because she just, she didn't even know that was possible. You know, she just thought this is what I'm just supposed to be on these for the rest of my life. And that's, what's going to keep me healthy. That's, what's going to have me live long. Also not realizing, you know, luckily she doesn't, she doesn't feel any, um, you know, negative effects from her medications, but I'm sure Bridget, you find too, people don't, sometimes even know that they're feeling negative effects from medications or from certain foods until they take it away. And they're like, Whoa, I feel so much better. Yeah. And then that explained it to me this morning as um, being in a bad marriage that, that you don't know is as toxic as it is until you're out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's true. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know until after, but, um, you know, where, if we're talking about really creating health versus being, you know, constantly in the prevention state or being reactionary to when you get that diagnosis and then just going along with what your doctor says, where can people start with taking the reins on their health and creating health for themselves? Yeah. Um, so I think that the first thing, there's a lot of mindset shifts that have to happen. Like you said, that it's, um, that having high cholesterol is not a stagnant state that you'll forever be in because your dad had high cholesterol and died of a heart attack at the age of 60. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of fear driven, um, there's a lot of fear-based messaging that can come from prevention as well. When you know that you have a family history of certain things and that that's, what's putting you into action to change your diet and improve your health rather than because you know that it's going to help you feel good. Um, I think that when it comes to, I had just last week created this graphic on the fact that we as a society think about health and disease as a light switch where it's like, it's either on or it's off and it's off until you walk into the doctor's office and then you're diagnosed with high cholesterol or hypertension or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden that's the day that the light switch comes on and that the disease diagnosis is the light switch where people think they'll never be the same, that their light will never be off again. And that it's like the flip of the switch that it happened overnight. They were diagnosed. That was the day that they started to have Hashimoto's or high blood pressure or whatever it is. And that they don't realize that it's the choices that they make often 10 to 20 years earlier that are actually creating more of a dimming situation. That's like a light dimmer that is going up and down. And what happens is that it's going up and down so gradually that it's hard to identify when things are working or when they aren't working. So when 
people are in their twenties and thirties and they're like, Oh, my metabolism is fine. I can eat whatever I want. I have great genes. You know, that doesn't usually end up being the case once you're in your forties or your fifties, where people will then say, Oh, all of these lifestyle choices that I was making earlier on are really catching up to me. And the same is true from a disease standpoint, not just a weight standpoint, where it doesn't matter if your if your metabolism is great in your twenties, foods that are highly processed, if that's the state of your diet, will still be driving inflammation underneath the surface and often increasing that dimmer light that leads to a diagnosis 10 years later. But you're never associating those choices because you think of it as a light switch rather than as a dimmer. And if more people understood that it was a dimmer, then more people would be able to advocate for themselves and understand the power of their lifestyle choices on a day-to-day basis. But the medical industry keeps control if they think if they help you think of it as a light switch um, where it's just going off and then it's going on. And the only way to manage this, the state of the light being on is that you have to add a medication. So I think that from creating health, it starts with understanding that your, your light switch is a dimmer that's constantly going up and down. And that sometimes when, if your light switch is already going up from the choices that you've previously made and you're adapting a healthy lifestyle, that you shouldn't expect the light switch to start to go down very drastically within just a two week period of time where you're going to throw in the towel and be like, Oh, this isn't working. I am not seeing the results. I'm putting so much effort in for so little reward because they're not understanding the value of consistency and long, long-term change. That's really the name of the game when it comes to endurance versus sprinting and thinking about that as your health. This is a game of endurance and from creating health, it's a lifelong process that doesn't need to look perfect over time. And I think that the diet industry really catches people up in this because they view it as needing to go from zero to 100 where they're on their diet, they're not on their diet, they're eating horrible, and then they get so sick of themselves eating horrible and feel so bad about themselves that they go in the opposite direction to 100. And that's not what actually is going to be the the most significant in terms of continuously just gradually lowering lowering that dimmer. So I think from a from a mindset standpoint that that's an important shift. And then when it comes to creating health, um, I would say that the first thing would be paying better attention to the symptoms that you're experiencing on a day to day basis in patterns that are in your day to day life. Um, so this is something that I use not only for food but also for other uh, lifestyle factors like stress reduction and sleep and better understanding holistically how all of these things are contributing because often. If you're having a difficult time with your nutrition and you're also not sleeping, it may be a better idea to start with sleep before you're starting to address nutrition because the sleep alone will give you the energy to actually like think about what you're going to prepare the next day and go grocery shopping and be able to, after a long day of work, throw a meal together and um, also help to regulate your metabolism. Because we know that from a lot of research that when people are sleeping, that it improves their blood sugar control, it improves their cholesterol, it improves their overall cardiometabolic health, and um, also helps with their metabolism and their hunger hormones like leptin and ghrelin that will really be thrown off when people are sleep deprived. It makes them crazy carbohydrates, no matter how much nutrition knowledge you have, if you're sleep deprived, no one will make optimal choices. So I would say that paying attention to the symptoms that you're experiencing. I have a food symptom um, journal that we've been using 
for a long time to help people just start to identify patterns um, that I can um, send to you so that you can link it in the show notes and um, people can, you know, just download that. It's a seven day fillable PDF that you can start with to start to just identify patterns of what you're doing. Most of the time, people think that things they're experiencing are random and they're really not. So I would also say that when it comes to patterns, we're talking about, um, and I think this is where health creation really comes in, is how you feel on a day-to-day basis is how I would um, start to explain health creation. It's not just thinking about, I want to prevent cancer in 20 years from now. It's thinking about how can I improve my quality of life today? How can I make sure that I'm having daily bowel movements? How can I make sure that I'm getting optimal sleep? How can I make sure that my metabolism is the best that it can be? How can I make sure that I don't have acid reflux, that my digestion is better, that I don't have a lot of GI symptoms? All of these things are the way that I envision, um, creating health. And then I think that's one, um, that comes down to the food symptom journal Two, it comes down to choosing to eat for health. Um, when you start to think about food as an avenue to create health, nothing about the way that you viewed nutrition will ever be the same. And I think that when you're able to make that shift and you think about nourishing every single cell in your body with the foods that you're choosing to, to fuel it with, that it helps create more positive momentum compared to the restriction narrative of any kind that's existed in so many years of, um, of dieting and all of those kinds of things that don't actually seek to fuel your health. So I would say that, um, that that would be the next thing. And then the, the third thing that I would recommend is starting to visualize how you want to feel after your meals. So, Visualization is so huge, and this might even be larger than just how you want to feel after your meals, but really visualizing even how you want to feel in your body six months from now, 12 months from now, which is sometimes hard to to do when you aren't feeling well, to have the energetic capacity to know what what is truly in your um, potential. But I would say visualizing how you want to feel because I've always said that, and I never entered the nutrition field with any idea of calories. Like I entered the nutrition field because I was just learning how to pay attention to how I felt after I ate certain foods. And this doctor was running micronutrient testing on me and other things. So I was thinking about how can I get more nutrients and how can I get um, fewer foods in my diet that are creating a lot of my symptoms. And I would say that um, this was something that uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer is, uh, you know, a very big proponent of that I read in his book about 15 years ago is leveraging the power of vis- visualization, where you think about when you have a piece of pizza in front of you, instead of thinking like, oh, it's 100 calories or 200 calories, maybe I shouldn't like no, that will never prevent people from doing what they want to do. When you're sitting on a couch with a bag of Cheetos, it's not going to get you off the couch to be like, oh, this has too many calories. I'm really trying to watch my, my waistline, at least for most people. So instead, I would recommend thinking about in one or two hours after you eat that, how are you going to feel from an energy standpoint? How is your gut going to feel? How will you digest that food? How will you feel? How will you sleep that night? What kind of mood will you be in? All of these things that are so closely tied to the foods that we eat, but most people are completely unaware of that fact. So visualizing how you could feel if you chose not to eat that and maybe opted for something that's more nutritious and then how you would feel if you had that. And that helped me so much with um, trying to really like dial in my nutrition from a long-term sustainability standpoint is taking that moment, that 20 second pause to say, how do I want to feel 
three hours from now or two hours from now? And how do I want to feel tomorrow? Because I won't have the energy that I need to show up. And energy is something that I am always trying to optimize. So how can you... um, how can you associate the food choices that you're making with that delayed gratification that comes from feeling good and being able to show up for your life in the fullest potential that you have so that you can serve the other people around you, whether that's your family members or your team at work or whoever, because that is a much larger motivator. And I would also say, um, just to add to that, that sometimes people view their food choices as just, I'm going to... Um, try not to buy that because I don't want it in my house because I don't want to be tempted by that. And the way that I really try to um, coach people is to say, instead of thinking about it as just you, think about you being a part of a larger movement of individuals who are choosing to vote with their dollars. Because the more that we're voting with our dollars, the more that we're creating this ripple effect of people who are truly believers in the fact that food is medicine and that they can eat for health, then the fewer people that are going to be buying the Cheetos and all of the chemicals that are being flooded into our food supply, and especially when it comes to a public health nutrition standpoint, I think that this um, has a lot to do, if you can afford your own food and you're not on supplemental nutrition assistance program or the SNAP program or WIC program, any kind of government support, this is your way to give back to others who can't make as many choices. That it's like the more that you're voting with your dollars, the more that you're putting these companies out of business or uh, really uh, helping them change since they only care about the bottom line versus actually caring about people's health. And so I think that. This is a huge stance that as a community, we need to come together and really stands for in order to improve the health of others and improve the health of our future children and grandchildren. And when you think about being a part of this larger initiative, it it takes it away from just being on you. And it's about creating something so much larger than you. And I think that that is what really motivates a lot of individuals to spend the extra dollar on the um, organic local brand of almond butter versus the Jif peanut butter that's being sold at their grocery store. Um, and those kinds of things that really make a huge difference in terms of the mindset and the buy-in that you have to continue to support companies that are doing it right and that genuinely care about improving our food supply that we need so drastically. I'm so glad, Bridget, that you're bringing all this up because it's definitely not spoken about enough or in that way where people can think of it more as they're just a part of something greater and just making a single choice in the grocery store can have that ripple effect. Um, and obviously there was so much, you know, so much to unpack from what you just said. And a few things I want to point out, I love your idea of visualizing how you'll feel right an hour, three hours after you eat something. And that's where that your food symptom journal comes into play, because if you don't know how certain foods make you feel, or you're not paying attention to that, then you may not know what to visualize afterwards. So I love that it's kind of in those steps. And I've also found with many clients, once they finally start to change their diet to a healthier way of eating, then that pizza doesn't make them feel so good. Like before they didn't even know it didn't make them feel good. Right. Or some of those unhealthy foods that they were having, they didn't even know they were having a reaction to it. But then once they start to incorporate you know, healthier foods into their diet, then they have them and they realize, Oh, like I feel terrible after that. And what I love is that's their motivation. Cause I always tell them, I'm like, it's fine that you have it. 
just make note of it and use it for next time. Right. And then the next time they've, you know, they're like, Oh, I'm really craving pizza, but you know what? I'm only going to have one slice this time because last time like two or three, and I'm going to make sure I have like some veggies with it or a salad with it. So I still stay full and I'm going to add some protein to it. Um, but it's just, I don't think enough people think about their health and especially nutrition as this constant, you know, you were talking about looking at food as what you're putting, you know, you're putting it in your body and changing your mindset for you're creating health by putting, you know, what foods in and keeping also to what foods out. Um, but using all the information from how your body is feeling. And that's where, you know, your food symptom journal or just taking note of how certain foods are making you feel can be so impactful. So you can visualize. So you take those bits of information, just like how we take, you know, bits of information from when we're in school or from the news, et cetera, and using that to create your health. Um, the other thing, yeah. The other thing I loved was your dimmer analogy because I can't tell you how many people, and I'm sure you get the same thing, but you know, they've had years and years of poor habits and I'm not just talking about eating, right? Like, like you were saying, sleep, hydration, um, so many other factors, stress, And so, you know, their dimmer is going higher and higher, right? It may not be fully turned on by a certain diagnosis, but it's really up there and they want it to go down so quickly. But I always try and remind people the time you've spent, you know, and we'll use your dimmer analogy going up, that's the time you may have to spend going down. It's, you know, you can't put you can't have 10 years of bad habits and then expect it to all change in a month or maybe even three months. It you, it may take you a few years, but that's where we have to have that goal of long-term health and mm-hmm. like changing to a healthy lifestyle because anything, you know, for anyone listening, if you have had years of bad habits, and whatever you did was a quick fix or it got you, you know, the results you wanted to see in only, you know, maybe even a few weeks or a month or two, it's not going to bring about long-term health because that's just not how our body works. Our body doesn't just switch on and off like that light switch as well. So I'm so glad, you know, you put it in that analogy because it's, it's a really great way to think about just those gradual steps versus, you know, turning your health on and turning your health off too. Well, especially because as a society, we're taught like everything about our current day-to-day society is like the quick fix that we're looking for. And so we want to be able to see that like light switch effect and it's hard. um, It's hard for that to happen sometimes. And I think that even that's what keeps the processed food industry in business. I was recently thinking about this, that, you know, the, from a processed, from any food company, when there's any kind of foodborne illness that's detected where people get sick, that the company has to spend millions of dollars, sometimes maybe thousands of dollars to recall all of those ingredients, because there's a direct correlation between the foods that were coming from certain plants and the foods that are making people sick. So they have to take the risk and then, you know, like recall all those products. But 
think about how much these foods, I was thinking about this because I've been wearing a continuous glucose monitor for the last few months and think about how many food companies get away with this dimmer effect. It's like, what are you paying for creating chronic disease over time with like the sugary cereal that you're feeding kids that are causing their blood sugar levels to go up every single time that they're eating it, but we don't see the effects like we do foodborne illness, which makes it so hard to hold them liable for the foods that they're putting on grocery store shelves. And it's like, the more that we as consumers are able to wake up to this dimmer effect, the more that you're able to see, the more that you're able to support choices that are in your best interest long-term versus allowing these companies to continue getting away. I like, I was, I was literally sitting thinking, okay, how could, how could that end up happening eventually? Like, would we have companies, um, would we take an average of people's blood sugar response after the meals and then just do a study so that we could put it on average that like tricks, cereal or whatever cereal is going to increase your blood sugar by approximately 60 points. Maybe that should be put on the front of the food packaging. (laughs) I'm like, how do you hold these people accountable so that anyone has any idea before they're actually buying it? Because there's all these artificial claims that are on the front of the package that get so consuming that are like contains 14 essential nutrients. And it's like, did you know that you could also get that through fruits and vegetables without paying the metabolic consequences of consuming that cereal that is that contains those 14 essential fruits or um, essential nutrients. It's like so misleading to any company that's wreaking metabolic havoc underneath the surface from long-term use is able to get away with it. And I guess the argument could be that for people that are just eating it in moderation um, one, one time occasionally, then it's not a problem. But the, the, the issue is, is that it's not happening for most people. No. And we have to put, I mean, Bridget, this is why I love you too. I love that you get so passionate with it too, because we also have to put it back on ourselves as the consumer, right? You know, asking yourself questions. And I know, you know, there's so many misleading labels on boxes, like you were just saying, but also asking yourself, do you really think the fruit loops are ideal for your child? You know, do you really think, um, buying, you know, multiple types of cookies and having them in your house where your kid can easily grab them. Do you really think that's the best option or even choices for yourself? So I think part of it too, is people committing to their health and then asking those questions, just like we were saying, ask, you know, when you're at your doctor's office, ask those why questions, dig a little deeper, um, and be a little bit more of a detective. And obviously, you know, hopefully with us being able to get out the message even more, we can inform more people. But I also hope too, that people start asking those questions, just like how we want them to pay attention to their symptoms, pay attention to what you're putting in your grocery bag, right? Start paying attention to what's in your refrigerator. And, you know, we, I say it all the time, but like, we're such creatures of habit. It's, you know, you go to the grocery store, you're buying the same thing every time, usually. And half the time it's because you're so exhausted and you're just like, it's, you have to check it off your list. Maybe you have a large family and it's your one time to grocery shop and you're like zombie mode in the grocery store. And I really encourage anyone listening. If you feel like you identify with any of that to start making a change because 
you can, even if, you know, maybe you're still in zombie mode because it's the end of the week when you grocery shop, maybe you change up that grocery list and you end up having a healthier, you know, healthier options um, and a healthier list that you're, (laughs) you know, putting into your cart each week, but putting it back on yourself and really committing to creating health for yourself. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you, Bridget, if there are like certain habits that you find a lot of clients are doing that are negatively affecting their health that you think are like easy things, you know, easy changes they can make that they'll see big results. Um, Hmm. That's a good question. I will. Uh, let me just add one thing. Um, yeah. I do think that of course there's a, a personal accountability aspect to it. Um, but the food marketing is super complicated and, okay. um, the way that companies are able to get away with certain things, like even uh, just a few days ago, I posted something about Oatly not being an optimal choice. And I can't tell, I, I thought everyone knew that. And it was like, I got so many messages from people being like, what are you talking about? That oat milk it raises my blood sugar levels. And what are you talking about? That some people that have gluten issues may also cross react with oats. Like these things that, you know, they really put this products because it was plant-based on a pedestal. And so if it's marketed as plant-based, then it must be healthy for you. And then someone messaged saying that, well, it's a better environmental impact than milk. And I messaged her back and I said, I'm not going to drink anything that is that is worsening my metabolic health just because it's environmentally friendly. There's ways to go about it where you can get both. So I think that, um, of course, personal accountability, I completely agree a hundred percent. Um, but it's, Unfortunately, consumers are set up for it to be difficult. And oh, I think completely. that when people realize that they're set up for it to be difficult, it's um, it, they feel less guilty about it because there's so much shame and guilt around food. And no one's here telling anyone that they need to be perfect, by the way. I think that if you have a cookie occasionally, it's no big deal. If you're incorporating things that you really enjoy as treats, that it's fine. But the problem is, is that most of the time these foods are, are marketed as dietary staples in your everyday life, like the cereal, like the Oatly, those kinds of things where you're not viewing it as your daily treat. And that's where the compounding effect of these different food choices really adds up, um, in my opinion. Oh, completely. Um, okay, and I so, think people, they, people can even start with just seeking out more education, right? Like even, you know, if you're on Instagram and you realize, you know, follow Bridget, right? Follow some other RDs that are putting out really good information and just start educating yourself more because knowledge is power. And hopefully we can get to a point where a lot of these larger food companies will have to start paying more attention and actually being accountable for the food they're putting out there, but it may take a while. And if you can educate yourself more, and even if it's just making like one better decision, it can really have a big impact. No, you're right. It can. Um, and I think that some of those small changes can really make a big difference. Um, so for the question that you had asked about small things that people can start to do, I would say that, 
Um, number one, starting with optimizing your, your sleep hygiene and your sleep practices can be huge. Um, so trying to really make sure that you're um, giving yourself time to unwind at night before bed so that you're not waking up in the middle of the night, maybe drinking some kind of tea that helps to decrease cortisol response because a lot of people that I work with have really jacked up cortisol levels at night that's keeping them in that, you know, like perpetual stress cycle and makes it once they wake up in the middle of the night, then they're up for an hour thinking about their to-do list. So I would say, I actually, um, now that I think of it, I was listening to the Nordic Naturals podcast and heard you um, say something about sleep and the to-do list. And you recommended that people write out their to-do list, which I had never heard of, which was such a good tip. Yeah. If you write, if you find that you had just have like, you're a mind racer and it's usually about what you have to do the next day. Um, just writing down your to-do list before you go to bed. So it's almost like you're taking it out of your brain and you know, it's somewhere, right. Or even in your, you know, in your phone, you can write it in your notes section, but it just frees up more space. And then, you know, you're not going to forget anything. Cause I feel like half the time, if you're thinking about your to-do list, you're just worried about forgetting one of the things on that to do list. No, you're right. You're right. Um, so I think that when I, when I heard you say that, I was like, Oh, that's amazing because I work with so many people who wake up in the middle of the night and they run through their to-do list. And I do think that a lot of it is also from a cortisol response that, um, you know, their cortisol levels are high at night when they're really supposed to be at their lowest point. Um, so I recommend drinking like some kind of tea at night, like a holy basil tea or a sleepy time tea, chamomile tea to help really calm down your central nervous system and induce more of that parasympathetic nervous system, tell your body that it's really time to relax and to shut off. Um, and I think that sleep is really like the first step in terms of improving your health. Um, I think that another thing that's really easy is switching to more, more whole foods in your diet and, um, focusing more on getting more color in your diet, at least three colors at each of your meals in order to incorporate more of those phytonutrients and phytochemicals that aren't vitamins and minerals, but work on a cellular level to offset free radical damage and oxidative stress and really modulate inflammation, um, and also give you energy. I mean, they play such a critical role in your gut microbiome as well, feeding a healthy gut microbiome. Um, and then I would also say that variety is something that I focus on a lot because the more uh, variety you have in your diet, the more variety of microbes you have in your gut microbiome. And you want that, that, um, ecosystem of a hundred trillion, hundreds of trillions of microbes to really be as diverse as possible. So you have the strongest army to protect you. And the way that you can do that is really varying the nutrients that you're getting in your diet and varying the food sources, which also helps to decrease food sensitivities. The, the greatest, risk factor, in my opinion, for increasing food sensitivities is eating the same the same food over and over again. And this I see all the time with almonds now is like almonds, butter, almonds, milk, almonds, yogurt, that you could literally have two meals and have six sources of almonds in those two meals and not even know it because they're disguised in all these different sources. <laughs> um, so I would say doing that. And then I also always recommends my optimal plate method, which is the way that you can really start to visualize your plate in terms of the getting the proper balance of nutrients as a great starting place where you have half of your plate as non-starchy vegetables. Then you have three to six ounces of protein, depending on what your protein needs are. And then looking at a source of healthy fat, approximately one to two tablespoons, and then looking at um, an optional source of additional carbohydrates, whether that's sweet potatoes, brown 
rice, quinoa, um, those kinds of things in order to, to balance out your plate. But I would say that those would be the, the first places in addition to water and hydration. So um, really making sure that you're drinking enough water and um, getting that in, in, in a regular basis is so helpful for regulating bowel movements if you're struggling with constipation, for decreasing um, cravings that people have, for also improving the elasticity of your skin and decreasing wrinkles. Um, lots and lots of benefits to water that I think are a lot of times underestimated. Completely. And that's such a good place to start. Um, we do have did an episode um, with Chris Moore, and he gives so many great tips on just bettering your sleep hygiene. That's so helpful. Um, and I love that you were talking about, we just had um, Carolyn Brown on. Oh, I also in our day. Yeah. And she was talking all about counting colors over calories. So completely in line again, um, with really just trying to get different colors and variety on your plate too, because that's another common misconception that I find people say, Oh, I eat healthy, but I'm also realizing they're eating basically the same meals every single day. And even if it is like the same salad every day, you know, like something that's quote unquote healthy, that also means you're getting the same exact nutrients every single day, which isn't going to help that diversity in your gut. So I'm so happy you brought that up too. Um, where can people find you, Bridget? Where can they learn more? I mean, all I love following you on Instagram. You put out so much good information there, but where can they also work with you if they're interested? Thank you. Um, I would love for you to come um, come check out some of the information that we're putting out on my website. Um, I write bi-weekly articles on beingbridget.com, which is my name. Uh, well, it's being and then my name, B-R-I-G-I-D. It's like rigid with a B in the front of it, um, beingbridget.com. And then our programs, my, um, my Food is Health program is our 10-week program where we really dive into personalized nutrition using a food as medicine approach in a very data-driven um, way because I'm obsessed with tracking data to better quantify outcomes to really be like, it really works. <laughs> Using food as medicine in a personalized way really works a lot of times even more than, um, than you can move the needle when it comes to just you know conventional medicine, regular interventions. And uh, so myfoodishealth.com is where you can find out more information about that. And then also my VIP program and uh, so yeah, myfoodishealth.com. Okay. Awesome. And then we do like to end every episode with a little rapid fire Q and a. So first thing that comes to mind, uh, but the first one will be, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Herbal teas. Okay. Do you have a favorite herbal tea? Um, holy basil. Okay. So <laughs> this may lead into our next question. Are you a coffee or tea girl? Oh, tea, hundred percent. I like, can't tolerate coffee at all, and I actually think a lot of people can't tolerate coffee, and they don't even know. Like, I'm one horrible. of them, Bridget. Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, actually, now I'm almost starting not even to like the flavor in general, because um, if I have it, I would have decaf, but. Yeah, cannot tolerate it over here, and it took me a while to really. I feel like a lot of people know it. <laughs> but they don't want to admit it for a while. Um, 
So, I didn't even know it. I had <laughs> no idea. Like I gave coffee up the first time in 2015 for Lent, mainly because honestly, I was working at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, seeing Dr. Hyman's patients and telling all of them to stop drinking coffee because that's incorporated in a lot of his recommendations. And I felt so guilty because I was doing everything basically that I was recommending except for that. So I was like, okay, I really got to do this for Lent. And my whole life changed. And I was like, that was the last thing that I was like, I will never ever give this up because I have an energy deficiency, basically. Like I have narcolepsy. It's very difficult sometimes to stay awake. What I realized is that one, it's, it makes people so anxious. It fluctuates energy like crazy because your cortisol levels are fluctuating throughout the day. It spikes blood, blood sugar levels, especially in women. I see this most commonly. And the other thing that happens is that it can impair your quality of sleep at night, depending on whether you're a fast or slow caffeine metabolizer, depending on um, your genetics. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that actually have better energy without coffee, but I was in complete denial about that. Oh, totally. It actually lets you like tap into your own energy stores. Actually with any client I have that's over consuming caffeine in general, we'll do a little caffeine, you know, detox if you will, but kind of just slowly taper them back every single time, better energy levels. In the beginning, it can be a little rough, some headaches, things like that. But once they get over that hump, they're like, I never knew I could have this amount of energy first off. And they're like, and without coffee or without caffeine, like, what is this? A hundred percent. Although I do recommend matcha often because matcha is a great way to get caffeine. And because it is so high in L-theanine, which is an amino acid that helps to offset the stress response. It's like the best of both worlds. And now coffee companies are coming out with coffee with L-theanine in it because they're trying to basically mock matcha. So, and that's actually, that's my go-to mainly for, if I have coffee, my like anxiety goes up right away, but because matcha has that like slower release too, I feel completely sustained and I don't have those fluctuations. Um, okay. Back to our rapid fire. I'm sure Sorry, yeah. it on. Okay. This one's my favorite and this is our final one, but what's your favorite home cooked meal? Um, my favorite home cooked meal is, um, probably tacos, fish tacos. Um, we have that actually once a week. Um, but I love fish tacos. I am. I'm with you. All right, Bridget, thank you so much. And I can't wait for everyone to hear this episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the work that you're doing to put these messages out. Today's episode is an excellent reminder that if you find that you're not getting the why or the answers from your medical professional, don't let that discourage you from seeking out solutions. Sometimes multiple opinions can be beneficial. Most of the time, our health issues or symptoms are interconnected to the whole body, and the answer may be more complicated than it first seems. But like Bridget, that doesn't mean you can't get to the bottom of it and start feeling better. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can watch every episode of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. You can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like the show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. 